0: Welcome. You're listening to The Drive Podcast, a ministry of First Baptist Orlando. In our current series, we are walking through the letter of Philippians as the Apostle Paul writes to
1: encourage the people of Philippi to live out their faith with joy and in unity. Let's listen in and see what God has in store for us. Grace that forgives us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. A grace that is big enough the continual mistakes that we make God would you remind us tonight that we're dead dead to sin and alive to God in righteousness and have every need met in Jesus Christ and that Father if we would believe that and appropriate that truth God we would find that there is no life in anything outside of Jesus so Father thank you Jesus for coming, living, dying. God, for raising him from the dead so that we can be joined to eternal, indestructible life. Father, would you breathe life into us tonight? Those who are weary, those who are uncertain and doubting. Thank you, Jesus, for your love in Christ's guys thank you so much for worship and thank you guys for worshiping with us if you have your bibles turn to philippians chapter 1 we are finally going to get to chapter 2 tonight but then we'll take another 2 months to get through chapter 2 <clears throat> amen and chapter 2 is just ah oh, so good i said this earlier the drive is a gathering that exists. Let me, let me start over. I've really been wrestling with why we exist um, as a ministry, what our goal is, what our aim is, why we gather on a weekly basis. Um, and I'm meeting with lots of people, asking lots of questions, praying a lot, listening for God's voice. And as far as I can tell, we exist to equip young professionals, 20, 30 year olds, to live on purpose and with purpose in this season of life. And we're convinced that we can't live with purpose and on purpose without one another. And so the context of biblical community is so important. And so I'm so glad you guys are here, but I would rather you miss Tuesday night and begin pouring into one another outside of this room. I'll pay for you to go have coffee You're grownups. My wife's like, they're grownups. Don't offer them that. But we need you. I need you. The body of Christ needs you guys getting to know one another outside of this large group gathering. And so we believe that to live on purpose, to live with purpose, especially now in this season of life, which for most of you means a season of singleness, then that happens together in a relationship with Jesus first and foremost, and in a relationship with Jesus's people. And so we're glad you're here tonight. We've been walking through the book of Philippians and Philippians is a letter all about living. It is this invitation by God to learn to live, to learn to live in such a way that we are responding to this invitation to see all of life through the lens of God at work. Now for the last chapter, Paul has been pleading with us to see things the way that God sees them, to see things from an eternal perspective. And this is a super challenging endeavor because for those of us who are in Christ, Christians, we are also in Orlando, we are in the world. We are in, you are in a season of singleness. And yet Paul, whose circumstances were worse than yours, was still able to look through his circumstances and see God at work in all of the things, at all of the times, regardless of what was going on around him. Paul's just finished giving us this, this autobiography of sorts in chapter one, right? He's writing to the Philippians and he's telling them what's going on in his life and what his circumstances are and, and how things are okay, I mean, dude's in jail, right? He's chained 24 seven to a Roman guard. He's not sure if he's gonna lose his head or not. Uh, Men have started preaching in his absence and they're preaching with selfish ambition and impure motives. And Paul's conclusion to all of this stuff is, listen, it's all good. Christ is being proclaimed. I can rejoice even in the midst of my circumstances that don't really look too good. And so Paul switches gears in our passage tonight, chapter one, verse 27, all the way to chapter two, verse four. And he switches gears and we see for the first time in the entire letter, as far as I can tell, the first imperative of Philippians, the first command, the first time Paul actually tells us to do something. It's interesting if you read Paul, the apostle Paul, he always unpacks orthodoxy first, right belief, right thinking. And then he moves us to orthopraxy, right practice. I'm convinced, like the Apostle Paul, right belief leads to right doing, right thinking leads to right behavior. And Paul does similar things all throughout his New Testament letters. And here we get to Philippians chapter one, the very end of it, and he says, listen, I have something for you to do. And it revolves around the community of faith. And if I had to sum up our passage in one word, it would be the word unity. This is this is what Paul is after here. And he speaks of two kinds of unity in our text, external unity and internal unity. The external unity chapter 127 to 30, it talks about standing together with the body of faith in the midst of external opposition, people coming against the gospel. Jesus was clear. If you stand for truth, people aren't going to like you. The world and the culture you live in is against, diametrically opposed to the gospel. The enemy does not like us, wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. And so if we stand for truth, there will be opposition that we face. And so Paul talks about in 27 to 30, this external unity that we have to have as the body of Christ, as believers, as a community of faith. We get to chapter two, one through four, and it talks about an internal unity, a unity that belongs in the body of Christ in how we interact and relate to one another, how we go lower still for one another, looking out for other people's interests, We get challenged to step in a room and look for the first towel to pick up, to wash people's feet. Instead of stepping in a room looking for our needs getting met, we begin looking with love instead of for love, looking for someone to serve. I've said this before, if you know your needs are met in Jesus Christ, you're free to come in a room like this and give your life away to people. But that's only when you're convinced that Jesus Christ has your back and he's meeting your needs faithfully even though it doesn't feel like it or look like it sometimes. And so that's where he's taking us tonight because he's trying to get us to Jesus, chapter two, verse five through 11, this beautiful hymn of Jesus condescending, living the highest heights of heaven and coming lower and lower and lower and taking on the flesh of a human and walking in obedience to death so that God could exalt him and lift him up. So one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Paul's getting us back to the center. Jesus is the center of all real, genuine unity because with his life, death, and resurrection, he is the one who broke down every division and barrier that stands between humanity. Our racial division in this country stops when Jesus is the center of our lives. That's what's gonna fix it. And so that's where he's taking us. He's taking us to Jesus, the one who creates unity through his death and his life and his resurrection. And I think you'd all agree our cities, I mean, they need unity. Our world needs unity. And the church of Jesus Christ must lead in it. So let's read Philippians 1, 27, all the way to two, verse four. Let me pray really quick. Jesus, uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. You know, the the eyes on the inside, Lord, enlighten our hearts to see what it is you have for us. We want to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. You won't hear those peddling the prosperity gospel ever preach that verse. Verse 30, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Chapter two, so there, if there is any encouragement in Christ, let me read it off the page because I switched it up on you, the new American standard. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Verse three, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. All right, let's tackle both of these sections one at a time. First one, this external unity, verses 27 to 30, and we're going to see three things here. The importance of worthy conduct, the image of worthy conduct, and the integrity implied of worthy conduct. The importance of worthy conduct is right there at the forefront of the passage. Look at verse 27. He starts and he says, only, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What do you you think Paul is communicating when he precedes this imperative with the word only? Only. I have a microphone to throw at you if you want to use it. It's important. Oh yeah, super important. Maybe the one essential thing that Paul needs these guys to focus on, living lives that are worthy in a manner worthy of the gospel. That phrase, manner of life, it speaks to behavior, to to one's choices. Paul's saying, listen, if the gospel is true, then live in such a way that the pattern and the practice of your life is worthy of the gospel. What you believe should affect how you behave. We come to the imagery of worthy conduct and then it jumps off the page in the original language, but I can't read Greek, so I needed help here that word worthy here, Paul's hearers would have understood that word immediately because it paints a very specific picture. And the best way I can help you understand this word is Oregon Trail. Anybody? Y'all remember Oregon Trail? Yeah? You remember that? I heard they're doing a reboot, I think. It's gonna be awesome. So... You know, remember when you're in the general store and you're like loading up on like bacon and grits and, and medicine and hundreds of pounds and, and and all of those things? Well, this word worthy in the Greek is the word axios. And the, the hearers would have heard that word and they would immediately saw in their mind a set of balancing scales. And so imagine you're at the general store and you see these scales, right? And you guys know the idea behind scales. You, you, you want to weigh something out in them, okay? And so say you're, you're going to buy some sugar at the general store at Oregon Trail, and you, you put a, a pound of lead in one side, and then you start pouring the sugar in another side of the scale, and you keep pouring sugar until they're equal, until they're matching in value, until they are worthy of one another, that, that's the picture that Paul is painting with this specific Greek word because it was a commercial word and the people would have understand exactly what he's saying. Paul is saying, listen, live your lives that matches in value, that is equal to, that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which speaks to the integrity implied of worthy conduct. Guys, when Christians embody their beliefs, By their integrity, the gospel is so much more attractive and believable. How many times have you heard people proclaiming the gospel and then their lives look nothing like it? How many times have we we been those people? And so Paul is challenging these guys who are living in the midst of increasing hostility to the gospel. He says, listen, live out the gospel which means we need a working definition of the gospel, right? It can't just be a Christian buzzword. Somebody define the gospel. What is it? What's up? The Holy Word. Okay, okay. The Holy Word speaks to the gospel, but give me some specifics. It's where we find it within the scriptures. What is the gospel? We throw it around. What's up? Okay, yeah, absolutely, good news, you know, Greek. He says Christ has died for our sins, absolutely. The word gospel in the Greek is made up of two Greek words. Eu, it's a, it's a Greek prefix and it means, it means good or joy or joyful. And the next word is angelos, it's where we get our word angel. What was the function of an angel? A messenger, absolutely, someone who brings news. And so the gospel is news that brings great joy, right? You know the Christmas story, the angel of the Lord comes to the shepherds who are shepherding their flock by night and he says, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And so the gospel is good news, it's great news, it's the precise details of Jesus living, Jesus dying, Jesus being buried and then Jesus being risen from the dead, defeating death forevermore, wiping out our sin debt. And by grace, when we place faith in the work of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the power of the gospel comes into our lives and we're not only forgiven of our sins, which is great news, but then the very spirit of God comes and takes permanent residence with the side of us. Jesus himself comes to live in us by way of his Holy Spirit. And so we, we don't have any excuse for not walking in a manner worthy of the gospel because the one whom the gospel points to has come and called you home. And so the beautiful part of the good news is now we get to learn how to become accurate expressions of the life of Christ his patience, his love, his forgiveness, his second mile cheek turning life. Don't ever tell me you, don't, you just don't have patience for your coworker. Liar, if you're a Christian, you got all the patience of Jesus who hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Come on, you got a place that's so much deeper in you if you belong to Jesus. And so there is, there is integrity implied of worthy conduct here. And we have to believe that we are who God says we are the hardest part of the good news of the gospel is believing that we are who God says we are, that you really are righteous even though you don't feel like it or act like it or think like it. I'm still in marriage counseling 10 years after being married. My wife said, hey, if we're gonna do this, we need to be in marriage counseling. I'm like, sure, we can do premarital counseling. She said, no, 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 no. No, 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 you don't understand. We're going to be in marriage counseling. So 10 years later, every couple of months, we go up and see our marriage counselor. When we hit brick walls, we call him and say, hey, what are our godly options? We don't know how to get through this. And one of the first things he said to me is, Cameron, who told you your feelings are accurate indicators of reality? I'm like, huh. I try to use that on my wife every now and then. I don't try it anymore. But our feelings, they simply respond to stimuli. Stimuli. And so we need to learn to to speak to our souls and take our feelings and put them up against what God says. If God says you are righteous and holy and blameless and beyond reproach before him, are we going to believe God or are we going to believe our feelings? And so we need to believe that we are who God says we are. And so we can begin to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Do you believe that? That you're not missing anything? That when you get up and you just don't feel like going to work again, that you just don't feel like you can go one more day being in a state of singleness, that you have an abundant supply of the life of Christ to get you through whatever crisis comes. You're never forsaken. You're never never hopeless because we're joined to the person of hope and so our call to live in a manner worthy of the gospel is possible because Jesus Christ has made us worthy. That's what Paul is saying here. Walk out what is true about you. And in our walking, the integrity of the gospel is implied. So, so all that to say, what does walking in a manner worthy of the gospel look like? One word, unity. Verse 27, he says, listen, whether I come to see you or whether I don't, man, I, I wanna hear that you're standing firm. In one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Three things that unity should look like according to this passage. Standing firm in one spirit, having one mind, the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter two, having one mind, striving side by side for the gospel, linking arms with one another, and standing confidently in the face of opposition. What do these things have in common? What's that? Yeah, what do these three things have in common? He asked me to repeat that. It's not a trick question. They're they're not isolated actions. These are corporate imperatives. These are communal commands. These are things that are supposed to happen together that are rooted in displays of community and connectedness, and they all revolve around the gospel. Guys, our commonality in this room, it can't be because you're singles in Orlando, you know, trying to, trying to crush it in the public sector. That's way too low, way too insignificant a reason for us to gather. When we have the spirit of Christ that joins us together in the family of God, pursuing and striving forward for the sake of the gospel. I mean, that's an unshakable foundation that will link us together. That circumstances can't shake. Many of us are failing in our walks with Christ because we're doing it alone. We're isolated. The call to Christ is, is, is a call away from an isolated individual walk with Jesus. Your salvation is individual. It is between you and God, but you are saved into a kingdom, into a community, into a family. We need to live like that. Paul says not to be frightened in anything by our opponents. Why is Paul convinced that those who stand for the truth of the gospel will encounter opposition? Because Christ did. Okay. Yeah. She said it first, Jimmy. I'm sorry, dude, but you're on the right track. Yeah. We preach a scandalous gospel that slaps you in the face and says there's nothing you can do to fix yourself. There is no pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. You are dead in your sins and trespasses. And Jesus died to offer you his free gift of a perfect, acceptable life. Will you receive that? And many of us who are individualistic Enlightenment, Western idealized, don't need help from anybody. And know, if, if, really, if we really need Jesus's help, then okay, forgive my sins so I can go to heaven, but then I'll get back to living life in my own strength. The same Jesus that saved you is the same Jesus that wants to equip you to live out the Christian life. And so Paul was being attacked and opposed because of the gospel, and he knew those who were called to the gospel would face that as well. And I don't know if you've ever experienced persecution, suffering, because that's where he takes us next. He says in verse 29, listen, you ha- it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you don't just believe in him, but you suffer for his sake. Has anybody suffered for the sake of the gospel? I mean, it doesn't need to be you were taken captive by, by jihadist militants. though our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing that on a daily basis. That? Do we believe that that kind of persecution is coming? But I think we've been lulled into a state of apathy and comfort. And so we don't see it coming. And I think we're fighting in the church because we don't have correct orthodoxy. We don't have right belief. I'm not going to go there. But the truth of the gospel is where we sink our feet. And we, if, we, if we don't know what we believe, then we're going to champion things like Love Orlando. I don't mean I don't champion that, but I mean I fully embrace the ideology behind a movement that I think is diametrically opposed to the truth of the gospel. I mean, we love everyone and yet we don't compromise the convictions of what the scriptures say. Race has not been addressed in the church of Jesus Christ like it needs to be. Racism, I mean. Racial reconciliation. And it's our generation that needs to do something about it. Gender too. Do we believe that God has a design for our sexuality? I think that's where I'm gonna go next. We'll do a series on beautiful design and we'll talk about what God sees when he looks at us the way he created us to be and why? Because of the fall, man, all of our sexualities are jacked up. And it doesn't change on the other side of I do. I'm gonna keep telling you that because this is not the answer. It definitely makes things easier I haven't been single for a decade. And I tell those of you that I meet with, I don't know what it's like to be in your shoes and I pray for you. But contentment is still in Jesus Christ, regardless of what season of life we're in. I'm Rabbit Trailing. There are many ways to live worthy of the gospel. One of those ways is to stand firm together, united in the face of gospel opposition. Paul is moving us out of the kingdom of self into the realm of others centeredness. Why? Because Jesus lived a life for others. Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Look at chapter two. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. We'll tackle this passage more next week in depth, but look at all these communal ideas and and these communal phrases. Fellowship of the spirit, same love, same mind, united in spirit. Count others more significant than yourselves. Look out for the interests of others. If anything, these verses remind us that the call to Christianity and the call to Christ is not the call to be an individually isolated subject. I said this earlier, when living means Christ, Philippians 121, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When living means Christ, we live in communion, not only with Christ, but in communion with one another. Which herein lies the rub, because we're all really different, right? I mean, come on, be real. Most of y'all would not hang with me, like outside of the church. And the same is probably true. I probably wouldn't hang with some of you guys outside of the church. But we have a commonality in Christ that bridges every gap, every barrier, every quirk? What do you think would happen if we all started hanging out with only those people who agreed with us and supported our theological persuasions and thought like us and spoke like us and parented like us? If you have kids worshiped like us, it it, it probably would not be in our best interests, right? A mentor of mine speaking on this idea of Christian community once said that we are to grow into and with community so that our imaginations do not exceed our experience. We're to grow into community so our imaginations don't exceed our experience. I will confess, I am super guilty of allowing my fantasies of community and my fantasies of the perfect church to crowd out the actual experience is in front of me. And instead of embracing the community that God has in mind for me, warts in all, man, I'm too busy grumbling because my fantasies are so much grander than my experience. See, God loves us too much to leave us enamored with our fantasies. So he gives us one another, right? Relationships keep us real. They are the gift of God. They're designed to kill all of our fantasies. There is no grace for your fantasies. They're the men and women that God places into your life so that they keep you real. And relationships are messy and they're hard and they're the gift of God. I had a fantasy of marriage and so did my wife. That got smashed when we got married because it's an institution not for your happiness, it's for your holiness. And it shows us the intimacy intimacy that Jesus has with his church. See, Christianity is really easy to communicate and dialogue about in these settings, right? Christianity is great in this context, in our prayer clauses or in our studies or in a large group gathering where we have semi-comfortable seats and great worship and, and engaging dialogue. But it's out there in the workplace and in community with one another where God desires to grow us up. We don't grow up in here. You know that, right? We grow up out there when, when, the, pedal, when the pedal gets pushed to the metal and, and we begin to need and lean on one another so that these truths get fleshed out in real life. So Paul closes out this chapter, moving us out of the realm of self-centeredness to see one another and how we are to interact with one another. Why does he do this? Because we have been joined to the life of Christ, which is a life for others, the foundation for unity. And what we see in these first four verses of chapter two, there is a maturity and there is a balance that Paul is talking about here that is not found in groups of people who believe the same things, who like the same things, who possess the same theology, but it is present for those who share the same life, the life of Christ. Philippians is all about living, learning to live out of the life we have received in Christ and learning how to do it in community with one another. And so Paul reminds the Philippians and us that the call is always to confirm the center. It's why we talk about Jesus. It's why we need to be careful not to argue about boundaries. Boundaries are important, but Jesus, the center, we go there, some of the peripheral stuff is gonna fix itself. And so Paul is appealing to these guys on the lines of their condition here in verse one. He's speaking to the new man, the new woman in each of them. This encouragement, this love, this fellowship, this affection and compassion, it only applies to and makes sense of for those who are in Christ. So before we break and have some table talk, one or two few large group questions, this is where I would love feedback from you. Paul asks in chapter two, verse one, so, if there is any encouragement in Christ well is there is there any encouragement in Christ what what's encouraging about in Christ being in Christ Jesus himself there's hope there's purpose there's, hope, there's, purpose, there's freedom from what freedom from what from sin. amen from sin from for living getting your own needs for living in a utilitarian way where I see everybody and how they can serve me and I can get things from them instead of believing that in Christ, all of our needs are met. What's the next one? If there is any consolation of love, that word consolation there, it's defined as comfort which eases grief and pain. Here's the question. Is there any comfort in the love of God that eases grief and pain? And if so, how? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Hmm. I don't, for us, some
1: for most of the world, probably pain is something we can live with. But God, with Christ, we have comfort. We have something that we have comfort and hope in that. It's not meaningless. Will you talk about consolation and love in the body of Christ and how God sent you?
0: Really quick, I had cancer last year and it came out of the blue, I was asymptomatic, I was fine one day, next day I had cancer and had to have surgery and everything happened really fast and God provided a best friend who literally like slept in the hospital, or she probably didn't sleep, I slept, um, but who moved in to take care of me and then lots of friends in the church who came to visit me and brought cards and table ping pong and just things to keep me busy when I was home. And I have read those cards for a year. I kept them all out on a dresser so I could see them. I had like 50 cards. And so God provided comfort and consolation in that pain that I didn't even know was coming or how to deal with or, um, and it's still not over. Like if you know anybody who has cancer, just FYI, it's a really long journey. when you think it's over, it's not over. So it's still there, but I have that consolation in in him because he provided for me.
1: And he he provided it through his body. Remember you and I are the roads that God is now traveling to get the gospel to the broken lost world around us. We are the Eucharist now, the broken bread in the poured out cup for one another. What about the fellowship of the spirit? If there's any fellowship of the spirit, that word fellowship is the word koinonia and it it means having something in common, a joint participation. We share the very spirit of the living God. If any affection, and compassion. I love these words in the King James translation. It says, "If any bowels and mercies, our question, is there any deep sense of deep tenderness and compassion from belonging to Christ, from being in him?" Absolutely. Absolutely. The tender mercies of Christ sent him to the cross so that we might go free. Is there a deep sense of tenderness and compassion that are ours because we've been saved by the kindness of God? I, I think so. And so Paul is appealing to them along the lines of their condition. He is speaking to the new man, the new woman in each of them. And he's helping them to connect the dots between what God has done, what we've received, and now what we owe because of the good news of the gospel, the supernatural response that should come from grateful hearts. We are unified in Christ. We are to stand firm in the spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the gospel, confident of the opposition that comes. And as we'll see next week, we should be willing to go low for one another, looking out for the interests of other people, to love one another as Christ loves us. So take the next 10 minutes, I totally had table talk questions for you, but EMS, who sets the room up, threw them all away, so I'm not going to set up early. It's what I get for being proactive. Uh, we're gonna throw these up on the table. Uh, take 10 minutes, dialogue around the table. Rain it in, hopefully, hopefully you guys were having some decent conversation. And as always, let's continue the dialogue over at TGI Fridays over at Millennia. Uh, every Tuesday night, we want to keep the dialogue going. We're going to go grab a bite to eat. We would love for you guys to come. Um, we take all the seats up. Uh, so it's a great opportunity for you guys to get to know one another a little bit more uh, and, again, to keep the dialogue going. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. That third question that I had up there was, how can we you know, strive together side by side for the gospel? And, uh, and Robert actually created a Facebook and, Tomorrow night, 6.30, here at the church, Cafe, Cafe on the Rock. Uh, he's gonna grab a cup of coffee and sit at a table and anybody wants to come and continue the dialogue there, you're welcome to come, but to continue growing in our faith and getting to know one another's stories. And so, Robert, raise your hand. That guy, yellow shirt, tomorrow night, 6.30, Cafe on the Rock here at First Orlando. But that's, that's it. It's, it's continuing the dialogue and getting to know one another outside of this room. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to see you on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. in the Student Center at First Baptist Orlando. You can check us out on Facebook. It is the easiest way to get in touch with us and find out what is going on in our ministry.